I just want to take this moment to introduce to you a very special podcast. This is episode two. Not that any conversation is more special than the other because we're going to have information that's going to come out of each conversation that's going to be very applicable to your own life or just something entertaining to listen to. This is a conversation with Jerry Joe. He is one of my favorite individuals in the food and beverage industry, and I hope you get something out of this. Welcome to episode two. From the world of hospitality So let's talk about reality Here on Hospitality for Humanity I met Jerry Joe, who was it, six years ago now? About that, yeah. About that, yeah. And uh, Jerry's a professional food and beverage individual, one of the most professional ones that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He's an excellent storyteller, a great father, and uh, he's been through the ins and outs of the industry and seen a lot. And I think he's got some uh, awesome wisdom to share with us here. And uh, so basically, Jerry, what are you doing right now? As far as work or like at yeah, this just, present moment? Just let us know. Tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment. Sure. Um, right now, I work for... I'm kind of a, uh, a hitman for hire, but I, uh, I'm working for Labatt right now. I was working for uh, Goodridge and Williams Distillery, but they got purchased uh, last, not last February, the February before last. So I guess I've been with Labatt for about a year, year and a half now. And uh, I, I've, I've worked for a big corporate before. Um, this one was a little different as I moved to a small boutique distillery with the number one hit being neutral knocking it out of the park and joined their team. And then they got acquired by Labatt. And I had some apprehensions about that at, at first, um, but I was assured that it was uh, a company full of great people. And I've yet to meet a jerk in the company yet. They've treated me nothing but great. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. On the side, I have, I shouldn't say on the side, I said equal, almost equal time days, sorry, night, early mornings, nights, and weekends. I work for Simps Modern Beverage. Uh, which is uh, my own company. Uh, I am co-owner with uh, my business partner, Dave Simpson, who's been my partner in crime out here in the Okanagan for years now. And uh, Richard Nixon, uh, seriously, his name's Richard Nixon, who uh, we brought on to help us scale and grow the business and uh, and make it into what it is today. So we're uh, we're having one heck of a summer trying to keep up with demand. We've got uh, a lot of stuff that's scaled up for grocery and big chain restaurants and uh yeah it's been going really well so yeah i'm, uh, I'm a busy boy that's pretty crazy mm -hmm. like that your own business that you've created is taking up that much time that's uh that's awesome sooner or later you'll be able to uh just switch over to that full time yeah i'd like to i'd like to say that i'd like to see it where i can continue to work at Labatt and continue working with um, the creative side of things there uh, with Goodridge and Williams uh, being a division of, of Labatt now. I really get along with um, Paul Meehan, the owner of Neutral, the CEO, current president of Neutral, everybody on that team, everyone on the Tempo Gin brands. Uh, I, I, they just allow me to be creative and Labatt has embraced that as well. 
They've offered me some mentorship opportunities uh, with some of their creative uh, departments. They've listened to my ideas. They've put a couple of them into uh, potential development. Um, and they've been really, really um, respectful of me, of my time, of who I am as a person and allowing me to grow and giving me sort of the power, the firepower now behind what I want to do. They've also been very, very encouraging of Sims. And uh, they, we've done some, uh, some programming with them. We had a great program with our old fashioned mix on shelf in BC liquor stores for, for Christmas. And uh, all that was done through uh, Goodridge and Williams and Labatt. So as long as they keep playing, uh, playing uh, that, that sort of tune for me, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep dancing. That was a weird analogy, wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> it sounded really weird. It sounded like it was from 1940. As long as the band keeps playing that. So, so, so you're dancing. Yeah. I'm Ted dancing, man. Right on. Uh, so it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're kind of like the idea guy. That's like, that's, that's putting things in motion, kind of like setting, yeah, I mean, setting up everything and being like, this is what we need to do to achieve. Yeah. I've been at Simps my, uh, my, my, on my business card and my title doesn't say owner or anything like that or creator or whatever like that. It says chief imagination officer because it just, it just suits me well. I mean, I do a lot of, I, I consider myself a bit of a beverage broker now. Um, creating brands, helping to design brands, helping to come up with ideas for campaigns, um, anything that I can do in, in the beverage, uh, space, uh, I'm interested mm -hmm. in whether it be non-alcoholic or, or spirits based, I'm really interested in non-alc right now. And I'd like to see my career gr grow into that sort of, uh, that space more and more. So if I can do that, you know, with one foot in the, in the big, in the big, big leagues with Labatt and, and Goodridge and Williams, and then one, one foot into the growing uh, small sort of uh, farm team in Simps. Hopefully there's some synergy there and it, it has been good so far. They've been very supportive of my company. So uh, allowing me to do what I do. So yeah, so it's, it's a fun, fun time in my life right now for, for, for beverage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in what comes out of the non-alcoholic -alc beverage lineup because I mean, with my sobriety and everything uh, as of the last year and a bit, uh, but uh, at the same time, that's also a very emerging market right now. Oh. It's coming up really fast. A lot of people are being uh, are, are being really inventive. Yeah, and they're they're really they're really going for they're really going for it really hard. They're like you know, like I was talking to you about the flow the flow drinks, like you, you know, like getting you and it's rather than like getting you all jacked up on caffeine and energy. They're talking, their scientists are starting to realize that, uh, you know, the, the flow states actually induced by being in a calm and uh, focused mood. So mm -hmm. you know, adding things like L-theanine to it. Yeah. There's a whole bunch that you can get into um, as far as, you know, supplements and nootropics and, you know, natural extracts and stuff like that. Um, so I, I'm looking to grow more in that space and to educate myself more in that space. I just recently um, uh, trained um, in cacao, so Peruvian drinking chocolate. So to, uh, to enhance a meditative state. So there's a lot that I, I do outside of the realm of spirits that I'm very interested in when it comes to non out. Tell me more about the cacao, man. That sounds interesting. Cacao, it's just fun to say. Yeah, you know, it's it's about um, 
it's about connecting to obviously Mother Gaia, um, the Earth as itself, um, taking something that from the Earth, uh, deep within the Earth, and then using that to enhance your your meditation. Um, to uh, in turn off present an offering back to the Earth after you're done. Um, so you'll you'll bring forth uh, a collection of things that you want to offer back to the earth. And that's usually roots and seeds and nuts and grains and flowers. And um, like the last one we did had elderberries, had um, pecans, had corn. Um, what else was in there? Some uh, various herbs. And you kind of, um, you kind of position it into a collage with whoever you're doing the medit about to do the meditation with so that you guys are slowly adding things to it could be a cloth. It could be a, a sheet of paper uh, that's, that's biodegradable, uh, but you're slowly creating this beautiful collage together of, of, of all of these different offerings. And as you present them, you're presenting them with an intention. So you're bringing an intention forth. So my intention could be abundance in um, my personal life, or it could be protection in my personal life. It could be protection for somebody else. It could be a well wish uh, for um, the people that have come before me, like my fathers who have, who have passed away. It could be, you know, something for uh, a relative, a friend. It could be uh, a goal. Uh, but to bring an intention with you or a bunch of different intentions and then to play within those intentions with someone else and kind of design this collage. And then you meditate, you, you, you take the cacao, you, uh, you go into a meditative state, uh, you do a little bit of journaling. And then at the end of the ceremony, you fold up the, uh, the paper or the, 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 um, the fabric and you go and you plant it um, somewhere special uh, that um, somewhere that means some, something to you. Um, so the last time we we did one, we we planted it in a rose garden, and there was three of us present. And as we looked up from from the final pat down of of of, of our hands and the shovel, uh, we all got up off the earth and looked up. There was three magnificent blue herons flying directly over our head, about thirty feet up. Like it was, you couldn't miss it. It was like you know the snowbirds coming by overhead. It was like, Whoa, what was, what is that? And there's three gigantic herons that flew over us. And yeah, it's just, um, it's just a calming way of, 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 of using a beverage to enhance, uh, your intention and to, to keep yourself regulated and calm and kind of introspective. And I, I will say that it was the deepest, deepest state of meditation. I've done three now, and it was the deepest state of meditation I've ever been in. So really cool. Really cool. That is really cool. Really, really, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I would love to try that out myself. Um, yeah. So part of the conversation is I want to like establish sort of like a, a groundwork for Jerry, you know, like, like to t tell us about uh, your, you know, like your, your younger years, your childhood, or if, if not, like you tell us about like you're getting into um, getting into the food and beverage industry and what spurred that, you know? Sure. How was your high school well, years? Um, yeah. I mean, I went from being a complete, I was a kid who what used to go home after school and dress up like Ichabod Crane. I was a big sleepy hollow fan and Ichabod Crane was my, like the coolest guy in the world to me, like that whole sleepy hollow. I don't know what it was about that, but it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was my favorite thing as a kid. And I was very into costumes and, 
play and I was very, uh, very much an introvert. I would spend hours upon hours, um, in my bedroom with, with my, uh, action figures and toys. And I would have three, four month storylines going on where, you know, I'd actually, you know, capture the bad guys capture one of my action figures and I would throw them in, in stasis, much like Han Solo and carbonite. And he would live in the, in the, freezer in, in the kitchen for three months and all the other action figures would be looking for him and it would be these storylines. And so I was very much into story. I was very much into myth, um, folklore, legend. Um, yeah. Kind of the mysterious unknown of life um, was harassed and bullied during my elementary years relentlessly day after day. So I became a fighter. So I would fight a lot just to kind of defend myself against my bullies. And I would end up in the principal's office. Wasn't a very happy kid. Um, at that point in my life, I was very creative, but very, uh, mocked for my creativity. So when I went to, when it was time to get into high school, I went to, with all the same kids that I went to elementary school, I went to that high school for a day for the uh, sort of the initiation into the school. And, I started getting harassed and bullied again. And I was just came home a mess. My parents were like, yeah, nope, not sending you to that school anymore. So they sent me to a different high school and it was more of an art school that had a drama program and theater and art was a major focus of the school. And so I, I found that the more I performed and the funnier that I was, the more I was accepted. So I just started performing. Um, and getting into theater and I got into hip hop and won a national rap competition in Toronto in 1990, um, wow. Jane and Finch in Toronto. It was pretty cool. Uh, was on much music with Maestro who was, and his management team who, who judged the competition, Farley Flex, who was a judge on Canadian Idol was the judge of the competition, one of the judges. And yeah, so I got into hip hop heavily. So I'm an old school hip hop head. I was into punk metal. My brother was into metal. We lived on, on four wheels. We were skaters. Um, so yeah, just, uh, sort of a, a melange of, of, of different influences in my life. I, my friends used to say that I was the fourth beastie, you know, the missing beastie boy, uh, growing up, um, as far as my, my food and beverage, uh, side of things go, um, my dad was a bar manager back in the day. He used to run about, uh, six or seven different bars and restaurants here in Kelowna. He was kind of the director of ops for, uh, for the early scene in the seventies and eighties here. So I grew up when I was three, four years old, standing on milk crates, middle of the afternoon behind his bar, pouring CC Cokes for, you know, his buddies that would come down and hang out. And, um, you know, when I, when I used to go back to our house, there was a closet in our, in our main hallway that was full of the old uh, Texas Mickey's that were plastic and they'd have the accordion pump on the, on the top of them. So I grew up smelling spirits and getting a, getting a palate for it. I remember tasting, tasting whiskey when I was very young, like, you know, five, six years old, you know, just, you know, sticking my finger at the, on the nozzle and tasting it and, you know, that kind of thing, sneaking sips of, of, of the drinks, at my dad's bar and kind of getting used to it then. And, Although it wasn't the best influence, it definitely got me uh, in tune with the spirits, so to speak. And then for years, I didn't drink at all. I, didn't, I barely drank at all during high school. And then after high school, um, one of my roommates, I got him a job. At, um, and in turn, he decided that he would get me a job without me knowing. And I showed up. He said, hey, can you come by and meet this guy named Jeff? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come meet. 
meet, go to your restaurant, meet this guy named Jeff. So I sat down with him and he asked me a whole bunch of questions about the Marvel universe. He tried to stump me on, on comic books. I happened to be managing a couple comic book stores at the time. So he kept asking me all these questions about comics. I'm like, what is this about? Right. And at the end of it, he's like, great. You got the job. You start Monday. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we need a server. You're here for this interview. Right. I'm like, uh, so yeah. So I was working as a server in one restaurant and a bus boy at another. And, um, I, was constantly getting asked to move beyond the bar and become a bartender. And I, I really didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I think it was intimidating to me. I think that because of my dad, I didn't really want to follow in the, those footsteps. And so I put it off for years. And in fact, even when I moved to Vancouver, I ended up moving to Vancouver. Jeff happened to be going down to Jeff, uh, Jeff menu was one of my uh, earliest mentors in the bar game. He was the very first person ever hired by Granville entertainment. He was the very first employee ever at the Roxy. So they, and I ended up working for, he was the guy who interviewed me here in Kelowna at his parents' restaurant. So I had an opportunity with ABC television uh, to um, develop my own series for myself, right? And develop it. So one of the stipulations was that I moved to Vancouver right away. So I moved to Vancouver. I was planning on moving to Vancouver and, Jeff phoned me up and said, Hey, you need a ride? And I said, why you moved to Vancouver? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I need a place to stay. So if you had a place to stay, I got your ride. So I had a place to stay. And, uh, so it just was kind of like my chocolate, his peanut butter. And we Reese's pieced that together and went to Vancouver. And, uh, he got me a job at Fred's Uptown Tavern, which is now the Bel Belmont hotel. Um, downstairs was Fred's Uptown Tavern. Upstairs was Babalu. And so I started working at Fred's. I started working as a barback porter there and then eventually had an opportunity to move upstairs and work at Babalu. And so I went up there and they offered me bartending, but I was, I was an awesome porter and I loved portering. Um, in fact, I like to this day, I still like portering more than barbacking more than I do bartending. Um, cause it allowed my performance side to jump in and out whenever I wanted and my introvert side to sneak away into the background and not be seen and not be the center of attention. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. So from there, I became the bastard son of a thousand maniacs, much like Freddy Krueger. We had most of the original Roxy staff um, as my as my bartending teams, um, from guys like uh, Jeff Weagle, uh, Jeff Menu, Sasha, Peter Noakes, um, yeah, Andy Macbeth, Harrison Barr. All of the original Roxy staff were brought back to open these two venues. And then we had Michael Buble on stage, which was pretty cool. Um, seven nights a week, I was there pretty much, lived there, lived in, and breathed it, was bar back there for quite a few years. And then moved into bartending there and uh, was there from the day it was built. Uh, well, the day it was, we were tearing down an old bar called Champagne Charlie's, which was a notorious strip bar. And we turned that into Fred's and then Babalu. And then uh, I subbed in at the Roxy on and off. Uh, as a bar porter, bar back, bartender for their staff parties, that kind of thing. And uh, my career just went from there. Uh, worked from everywhere from Mavericks on the Waterfront, uh, where I met uh, awesome guys like Brian Grant. Uh, and we we kicked off our, our friendship there and our, our sort of bar history there. Um, worked with all sorts of legends in the flair game and all sorts of legends in the in the bar game. Won a, won a bunch of competitions back when bartending competitions first started. Started winning them as a bar back, not even as a bartender. 
So every competition that the bar guys didn't want to do, they'd just send me in and I was the ringer. And I, was, I started making things, uh, homemade stuff, which was unheard of. This is the era of sourpuss. You know, this is the era of everything. I remember ending, that era. Yeah, everything ending in teeny. You know, every every cocktail on the on the on the menu ended in teeny. And at the same time, I was in acting school where I met uh, uh, a young upstart by the name of Simon Ogden, uh, who has become uh, who was quite a legend in the bar game. And he introduced me to uh, all these cocktail books. I went out to uh, to his place to to do a scene study because we were in, in, in acting class together and we were in the same scene for a month. And I went out to his place and I walked in and he had all these old, like, you know, like rich mahogany and leather bound books. He had these old cocktail Bibles from like the 1800s, 17, 1800s that were, were like wood burned covers bound in leather parchment paper that like, if you turned it the page too fast, they'd break. Um, all of these amazing Bibles. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh yeah, dude, I'm a bar historian. I know what's up. And I was like, this is cool. I'm like, talk to me about this, you know, school me. And he's like, well, let's start off like old fashions, Negronis. Like let's, let's talk about these drinks that no one's pouring anymore. And so we made it our, we made it our mantra to kind of bring that back to the scene. So we started pouring Negronis when everyone was drinking, you know, chocolate martinis and sour apple martinis and Cosmos and lemon drops. We were like, no, have you had a proper old fashioned? Have you had a Negroni? Have you had an Aperol Spritz? Have you had a sidecar? Um, so that's kind of where we went with it. And then guys like Jay Jones at the same time, were kind of doing the same thing. I ended up working at the Opus Hotel when it first opened and we had 28 classic cocktails on one menu and 28 classic cocktails on another menu of, of, you know, in proper glassware, proper measurements. And that kind of kicked off the Renaissance because there wasn't really a bar in Vancouver that was pouring any, any of these classic drinks at the time. So I was a great fit in there. Um, and with the tutelage and mentorship and camaraderie from the guys that I was hanging out with at the time, that were really kind of those geeks and nerds. It kind of kicked off that Renaissance of, of, of modern classic cocktailing, I would say. But I will say, I was always making my own kind of tinctures and extracts and syrups. The first cocktail competition I went into, I guess this is around 1993, 94, 95, probably around that, that era. Um, I brought my own Granny Smith apple reduction. And everyone was like, why didn't you just use sourpuss? And everyone was kind of pissed off at me for bringing my own thing. And, and I won it. And so everything from that point forward that I was designing had a little bit of myself, my own sort of story, my own ingredients, my own inspiration from my childhood, my grandmother's kitchen. Um, yeah, those that nostalgia kind of play that emotional res uh, resonance in the cocktail through my own ingredients that I would bring and make. Wow, that's very cool. You know, and like for something about three years after that, I was about to uh, work my first gig in a kitchen. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, man, uh, I, I I definitely uh, was a little bit too extrovert uh, in terms of a show a showman for everybody in the kitchen. Yeah, it seemed it seemed to be that place where everybody would hide away. They didn't want to show yeah. their face. They didn't want to do anything else. And I was like dancing and like singing and cooking at the same time. And everybody's, oh, yeah, everybody's like, "Fuck you, man!" <laughs> like, I hate you. You're not supposed to enjoy this, right? 
right? Yeah, this then, is the gruel, man. This is the suck. Like these yeah. are the trenches here, right? Yeah. So, so that's that's really cool that you were doing like, at the forefront of all that. That's amazing. Like, like you know, to be, you know, and and like I even felt that I was doing a lot of that even when I started bartending in say like 2011. It was still, you know, like still a tough grind. This is in Toronto, right? Yeah. And you know, I, I still found it to be a tough grind in terms of getting people into drinking something other than something with sour apple, like yeah. sour, put sour apple yeah. in it. Right. Um, but yeah, when I came in and met you guys, when you yourself and a bunch of other people in Vancouver here, it was really nice to be kind of, you know, accepted into the community here and just, uh, shown, the that there are people out there. There's, there's actually a huge community that's tight knit. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, it was weird because after that, the Toronto cocktail scene ended up sort of reaching out and like blowing up even more. It was interesting watching that develop too. Cause I was out in Toronto with Appleton a bit, uh, a bunch. Um, I won the, this is not a humble brag. This is just a leeway, but I won the, uh, 2010, um, championship for Canadian bartenders. So they, part of that is that you become their ambassador and they kind of just held on to me as much as they could and, and supported me as much as they could with bringing me out to Toronto, uh, for as much as they could. And just w- going there in 2010 and then coming back when I was the ambassador for Jack, we, uh, we spent a lot of time in Toronto because that's where the Canadian headquarters for Jack Daniels was and coming back in 2011, uh, you know, the, you know, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, kind of thing going out there during that period to see that jump and to talk to guys like, um, Dave Mitten when he had the Harbor room and Mm -hmm. Scott McMaster and those guys out there, uh, a lot of, you know, even Evelyn chick was out there at that point. And they were all like, yeah, they were all all kind of downplaying it saying, Oh yeah, well, Vancouver's way ahead of us. Well, Vancouver's about three, four years ahead of us. And that was always the kind of the story. And then going back and going to places like, you know, uh, just going to all the different places, going to bar chefs, seeing what Frankie was doing there and like going product. to, which is miles ahead of what anyone was doing. Right. Cocktail, cocktail bar, um, the Toronto temperance society. Yeah. Spirit um, house. Spirit, yeah, Spirit house, house is awesome. Spirit house is um, always great. Len Fregamini was the guy who owned that. Right. And he, he yeah. was an awesome dude. Very open. Everybody was always about, you know, sharing knowledge and getting everybody involved going to um, snack bar and yep. just walking in and seeing the cool f- things that they were doing with like micro food and micro cocktails and like walking in and sitting on old, old, uh, telephone pole stumps from different parts of Toronto that had changed over the years and seeing different old pieces of, of Toronto history on the wall, like just stuff that had been ripped down from, you know, torn down buildings and construction sites and they're blasting Wu Tang. No, everyone's yelling, trying to have a conversation and, it was just, it was so cool, right? And then, of course, nowadays... Like, like, like sorry, blasting is in, like, you literally cannot hear the person next to you. Talking. You literally cannot. You're mouthing the words to them while you're eating, a, like, a little, tiny little, you know, uh, thimble of ramen, the best ramen that you've had in your life, <laughs> a little egg, egg, egg cup of, uh, of ramen while you're eating a micro Big Mac and having a mini Snickers while you're doing this. I just the scene there got so creative and and it happened so quick. Right. And like, yeah, there's so many great bars in, in, in Toronto now. Um, and so many great bartenders in, in Toronto now. 
on that scene and, and going to Montreal and, um, you know, guys like, uh, Jonathan Amier, uh, who I, who I met during, uh, judging him in a, in a competition at spirit bar, um, and guys out in Halifax, like Jenna Carmier and just, uh, you know, the Canadian scene just went from this kind of apologetic for not being as cool as Vancouver uh, to no, no, we got our own thing. And like, when I came back to the Okanagan from Vancouver, that's, that's what I wanted to do out here. I wanted to do it, but I wanted it to make sense. So everyone out here was doing, and the restaurant that I was working at was the pioneer for farm to table. So I came up with the term field to glass. I was like, okay, cool. You guys are doing a farm to table. That's cool. I'm not just going to put out, you know, uh, a, a, a basic martini list or a basic sort of nineties, nineties, you know, retro kind of thing out here, which everyone was kind of still stuck in. And I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get people onto gin. I'm going to move beyond vodka. I'm going to move beyond, uh, you know, the basics out here and really introduce people. If we can do it in Vancouver, we can do it out here. But my, my whole goal was to, my goal, it was a selfish goal was I just wanted to train bartenders at a bar across the street that I didn't know. So that after work at a place that I could go get a proper old fashioned Negroni. I knew that if I could get the guys across the street to, to at the Italian joint across the street to start pouring Negronis that I would have a place to drink after work. So then it became, well, what's the Okanagan twist on that? What's the story behind that? How can we get into the legend and the folklore of the land that we're getting our produce from our herbs from our extracts from how can i challenge the farmers out here to grow things like angelica uh devil's foot um ginger lemongrass can i can i inspire one of these farms or farmers to can i get on their level and really get to know them well enough so that we can start providing the distilleries out here can i work with okanagan spirits to come up with um you know, an aperitif. Can I get them to, can we design something cool with them? Right. Um, can I, can I design an amaretto? Can I take the peach pits that we're discarding and, or the cherry pits that we're discarding and take it down to them and make a maraschino, right? This is what I was challenged with. This is the, this is what I really wanted to sort of throw on my back and carry as my flag out here. And lo and behold, we did it. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. I got, I got, I, I got the, the good end of that because I, I came in at a time when all this was sort of already developing and, you know, I had a lot to play with as a bartender. Yeah. It, was, it was really cool uh, to see it all come out and to see it all happening. Sort of like when I kind of like came, I think it was like, I, I came in in like 2011 and when I was coming in, that was when it was sort of just like, like all the, everybody was starting to do their own independent things, like, you know, the distilling and the creations and like all, all the different bitters and everything that were coming up. It was just really starting to spew onto the scene. Yeah. You know, and competitions were heading up really hard and like, you know, that everybody was really aggressively into it. I just, I just don't understand why Vancouver was so uh, ahead of Toronto. Yeah, either do I. I think that it was up to a certain, there's a certain group of pioneers there, a really tight group of pioneers that really, um, that really kind of accelerated it. I would say guy, uh, girls like, uh, people like uh, Lauren Moat would be right up there mm-hmm. as one of the ones that, and, and, and I would hear her name at, uh, in reference to myself all the time. 
um, you're you're like a male Lauren Moat. You're just like Lauren Moat. I mean, do you know Lauren Moat? And I would be like, no, I I don't. And then when I finally met her, um, it was great because um, to see what she was doing with bitters and extracts and her approach, she was miles ahead of of what I was doing in a different direction and with a different approach to it. I think that I was very um, very grassroots kind of working, working with the farms and the farmers and the restaurant. And I had a symbiotic relationship with my kitchen, whereas she was more of a, a solo act, uh, doing her own thing. Um, but man, and she had the science behind it. I didn't, I didn't have the science. I kind of just had the crazy behind it. I was the mad scientist, I guess like, Hey, you know, if you can fat, wa- fat wash a cocktail with bacon, why can't I go to KZ Apiary and buy a, you know, a pound or two pounds of solid different styles of beeswax and wax wash cocktails. Why can't I just take a bottle of maker's mark, heat it to a certain level where I'm not burning it down. So, and then melt wax into it and then fat cap it, but wax cap it and do beeswax wash maker's mark. So that's kind of where I was going. And, and she was more of like, Hey, how do I get this tincture right? How, how can I make, you know, 20 liters of, of this extract? Um, and I was just like, Hey, why, why can't I use aromatic feathers as a garnish? You know, like what from our lands, like go and get actual Eagle and crow feathers from a certain property up at Summerhill. And why, how can I get spruce tips and, and make my own stuff out of that? Hey, I'm going to go and tap some trees at three o'clock in the morning and poison myself with pine wax and in my own kitchen and get rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, I was, <laughs> I was more of a scientist than she was as far as like not having the discipline of, of the approach. Just, I want to try it. You know, no one's done it before. I was looking for the thing that no one had done. Um, and then there's guys like Jay Jones, obviously, um, Brian Grant, um, was huge i mean he was he was going over and and competing in jaffard in france before you know i think he was the second to go he might have been the third or second or third guy to go over from canada and really compete in their um iron bartender competition in france and uh and come second i think he came second guys like that that were inspiring me um and again it came back to the simon ogden's who were just kind of like not looking, not in it for the glory, just kind of below the radar, but you had Danny Tartre and you had uh, um, Sean Sewell in Victoria. You had um, Sean Layton, you had uh, Trevor Callies, you had all of this kind of these young upstarts that kind of were like, okay. And, and we're kind of racing with each other as I like to call it metal on metal, right. Where you get the best results where you got the, the, the best of the best, uh, constantly looking at new ways to do things, you know, resurrecting the Sylvia, the Vancouver cocktail from the Sylvia, l- making Toronto's, putting Toronto cocktails across the bar before Toronto was, you know, like, um, I think that that's, you had a bunch of people that were just dedicated to the craft, the Josh Papes of the world. And, you know, those guys, um, that were, were, were in there kind of in their, in their pocket with the uh, classic cocktail scene and really, really pushing it. Just, just to defend Toronto. I, I knew, I knew what a Toronto cocktail was and had had one oh, okay. before I moved out to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get, I didn't get that when I moved out there. I was like, no, yeah, it was weird. It, I couldn't find it anywhere either. I agree with you though. Like, like I knew what it, it was. was. Just, like I, I had a, like, it's just, it, the problem was, I think it was the demographic wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And uh, there's just so much heavy advertising for your regular brand names and 
you know, yeah. like your, your, like martinis, the teeny culture in general, right? Like, and especially the fact that Toronto's is like a small New, New York. Yeah. Like, like a little New York's little brother. And so then you have shows like Sex in the City, you know, that's like, I want a teeny, I want a cosmopolitan, right? But yeah. like their, their cosmopolitan is big, bold, and red and tastes like cranberries all the way. And it's like, that, yeah. that's, you know, like really, that's not what that is for sure. <laughs> but it was also like reading your audience too, right? Yeah. Like you're, like you just said, you're reading the audience, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also about educating the guests too and, and getting them to step out of their comfort zone into something new, right? There's a new 19 year old born every minute, as they say, in this industry. Well, yeah. Um, so they come in, they don't know what the, they don't, they're intimidated. You, you know, it's funny that most, most bartenders that I train or mentor or that I go into a restaurant or a business to consult with, they're intimidated by the classics. And most of these classics are way more simplistic than anything like you know, anything else, uh, mm-hmm. you know, old fashioned is one of, or Manhattan is one of the most intimidating cocktails to people I train in. It shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, when I got into studying cocktails, I went so far as to creating a ledger with all of the different recipes that I could find in any different cocktail book possible. Yeah. And then there was somebody, I can't remember who was did a graph for say the Manhattan where it was uh how much bitters how much vermouth um how much uh how how much uh spirit was in the in in the variation right and uh and it was just amazing to see over you know the last hundred years how it developed and how it's changed you know and like having even even went to a point where it was 50 50 ish like it was almost you know like where it was just like what this isn't this is unreal like super yeah cool. it's um yeah and and in in that context it's not a slag against any any anybody else in any other community because you know um by all rights Kelowna and the okanagan should have you know if we're looking at the same timeline should just be catching up kind of like in the last three years um but we really, really pushed out here and, you know, created the Okanagan cocktail movement. I was really inspired by Stacy Peralta of Pal Peralta Skateboards. He was one of my, he still is one of my, the guys that I look up to for inspiration going, you know, going across Southern California and really finding the talent or finding the potential in the talent, finding a, a 13 year old Steve Caballero skating bulls in Venice beach and being like, Hey, uh, you know, let's, let's put this guy on, you know, and I, I look at, I look at the talent that's out here now and it's talent that I'm not taking credit for. I'm just saying that I kind of just, you know, I kind of just shepherded these guys through and now they're running the show. They could beat the pants off me any day, day of the week, you know, and they're now mentoring others. So the same thing happened with Toronto, but the attitude that I, I found, encountered when I was in Toronto was like, yeah, well, we're about three years behind Vancouver. And I was like, no. And then now to go to Toronto nowadays and see how, how mind blowingly amazing, um, because they've always, Toronto always had like the, the restaurant scene and the, and the service and all of that dial. Um, same thing with, with Saskatoon or Regina, Montreal, Halifax, anywhere that I've been, um, from even small towns on up. It's, it's great to see that now cocktail culture is like, it, it kind of just springboarded everything forward. So we started off earlier in the conversation talking about meditation. 
Yeah. Like you're doing your meditation in cacao. And I wanted to bring it full circle because now we know a lot about Jerry Jobs and uh, you know, your <laughs> your history and what excites you and stuff like that. We're part of the conversation is is recognizing mental health, physical health and well-being yeah. and stuff like that, and uh how that could be a major challenge in the food and beverage industry. And uh, I know I've been right there with you for some of it. And, uh, you know, I, I've been through my story and I, I share mine, but, um, you know, if you were to sort of go back and say, like, I always like these little questions where if you were to go back and tell young Jerry something, a tip about how to manage, uh, how to do things better or, you know, like to be prepared for things, what would you, what would you impart onto them? Like considering that this is somebody else, like, like a young person in the industry yeah. or something or somebody that's going through the same things, you know, I would say the value of time, mm-hmm. that time is your greatest commodity and, um, the power of no and saying no, um, the glorification of what we do and the, um, the romanticizing of spirits and alcohol and the industry and its connection to it versus, and, 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 and being a bartender and living this sort of rebel rogue dashing rogue pirate lifestyle. Uh, it, it's, it's all a wank fest, man, for the most part, because you're gonna, the more you buy into that sort of, I'm, a I'm bucking the system and I'm living, you know, uh, I, I, I still shake my head at people, you know, waving this flag of I've got, I've, it's a legitimate job and I didn't go to university and I'm not good enough to do this and I'm not good enough to do that, but I'm, I still make more money than, you know, a teacher or I make, you know, the same amount of money as a high price, this guy or high price, like just this justification uh, on one side of why we do what we do. And then the romanticizing of it on the other, that it's like somehow bold or brave to be abusive to yourself. And, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to have that swagger and that punk attitude, you know, like I'm a, I'm a rebel because I'm behind a bar and I know these drinks and I, I've, you know, I know, I know names of creators from the 1700s and I know the history of Tiki and I know uh, that this, and I know that, and it's great it's great that you know all that, that stuff, but it's not about you. It's about the customer. It's about the client. You're there to make somebody's night, um, not to, not to make your own. You have to have time for yourself to have interest outside the bar. You have to have time for your own mindfulness. You have to say no to having, having to have two, two to six pints after work or two to six shots of something when you go out, like, it's just so sorry. It's, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly, um, I, I hate to use the word childish to me, but it's childish. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's childish in a way that I don't mean to look down. Upon. I'm not here to bash anybody for what they got to do to get through their day. But the support group in that I've seen a lot, we've lost a lot of people in our industry uh, because of it. We've lost a lot of uh, people, have lost a lot of years of their lives. If they haven't lost their lives, they've lost a lot of years to it. They've ruined a whole bunch of relationships. They've burned bridges. They've had financial troubles. They've had uh, 
codependency issues. They've had, you know, the list goes on and on of what, how detrimental buying into that mindset can be. So I would, I would warn myself against that. You know, when I came into it, I was looking up to a bunch of older guys that uh, were great, great men still are. Uh, the ones that are still alive and around me are, are great, great men uh, who I love dearly. Um, but the attitude um, that somehow you, you know, the, you got to have a coin in your pocket and to present, to have a shot um, that you got to always, you know, you know, rally, you know, when somebody's had enough and you're like, just puke and rally like that whole iron liver. And trust me, I have an iron liver. Uh, not so much nowadays because my tolerance for alcohol is very low because I, you know, I don't drink, um, nearly as much as I used to, uh, barely at all. Um, but that kind of romanticizing and the, the, the playing it up by the brands, um, and then on one hand saying, oh, you know, like go as hard as you can, mm-hmm. let's put you on a private flight to a different country for a night, get you pissed for 24 hours. And then the next month they're talking about how you can be involved with their health and wellness campaign or their mental health campaign. It's like, it's be careful, man. It's a double-edged sword. It really is. You know, um, they're called spirits for a reason, right? Right. It's like alcohol. It really means ghost or spirit apparition, mm-hmm. right? They're called, we move in spirits, right? And if you really want to be the one in control, let's say like the, the shaman behind the bar that's actually conducting the spirits. If somebody comes in to see you and you don't know what kind of day they have and they're steaming mad, you can tell that they're tense. You got to be able to work them into what experience they is going to benefit all the people around them. So that they integrate with the crowds. So they have a good night so that you can turn their night around. You're not going to give that guy a bunch of, a bunch of brown spirit and send him on his way. You're going to deal with him a half an hour when he's punching somebody out. Or when he's deciding to get in his car and telling his friends to F off and making bad decisions and going home and being violent in his house, you know, and the same thing can happen to you very easily. If mm-hmm. you just think that you're this impenetrable bartender, that's a master of the craft that can take it all. And you're surrounded with a whole bunch of people singing that same tune. It's very detrimental. And it's happened to me a lot. Yeah. I took a step away as you know, because I started to feel like you know, and, and like the, you talk, you talk about making these bad decisions or going off, like not taking the time for yourself. And, uh, you know, I find that, uh, the cycle is, is that everybody glorifies a lot of people in the industry tend to, or at least in the old industry, the old way, you know, and perpetuating that cycle was going, Oh, um, you have to put in 16 hour days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the, you again, just seven, six, eight days a week, you know, like going, like you have to, you have to work this much. Otherwise you're not a badass. Otherwise you're not killing it. Yeah. And then, you know, you end up drinking five of those days every night yeah. till, you know, like you pass out and then, you know, or you've got a drug problem and then you're staying awake all night and you're, you're, you're doing whatever and um anyway it's really just medicating so you're lighting the other end of the candle going okay shit now it's balanced but we don't realize is it's shrinking in the middle yeah Yeah, absolutely and uh, you know i I would yo-yo between 160 pounds and 258 pounds so six months i would be 180 and then summer it hit and all of a sudden into summer i would be 
248 pounds or 250 pounds, wouldn't I would point to myself in pictures and be like, who's that? And they'd be like, dude, that's you. And I'd be like, what? They're like, have you looked in the mirror, dude? That's happened to me at least three times in my life where I'm like, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. And I'm not recognizing myself. That's how out of it, you know, and still going that grind. And the other thing that I would tell myself is if anyone ever tells you that their business is one big family, run. Because I you mean, know who else had, you know who else had a family? <laughs> you know who else had a family? Charles Manson. I don't remember my family ever firing my brother. I don't remember for for uh, undue cause. I don't remember my sister stealing from the cash register. I don't remember my uncle sleeping with my cousin. You know. Uh, so any restaurant or anybody in the in the industry, the service industry that describes their organization as one big family, just run. Uh, because that gets played out a lot and that gets leaned on a lot is that connection, especially when you're in a, in an establishment for a long time, say you've worked there two years or even a year and you become really comfortable with everything. And then there's always staff drama and you're bringing it home or you're involved in it or anything. No, it's not a family. It's your job. Mm-hmm. So go in and just do your job. And when they ask you to work that extra day or they ask you to stay to cancel your vacation with you with your girlfriend or your significant other or your boyfriend whatever your kids uh to to maybe you maybe you can shorten it by a day or two no you got to have strong boundaries right you got to really have strong defined boundaries in our industry for when you're going to work when you're not going to work what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to so sort of I would like give myself that advice sort of like uh, you know like any relationship yeah you have to give it, you have to give it space and you have to have time away from it. Yeah. Because, you know, the industry will, will use those terms with you and they will start treating you like the favorite son for a couple months. And then they'll diss you out when you start having boundaries, they'll diss you out, but you'll be confused in your head because it's all part of the family, right? Oh, but wait, I don't feel part of the family anymore. Or I'm feeling like I'm being shunned by the server that I'm with because I didn't cover their shift on Saturday and they needed me, but I had something else that was important to my personal life that I wanted, you know, you really mm-hmm. got to watch your balance, take your time and, um, and really don't buy into that bullshit. Do you think that it's, that that ability for restaurateurs, and I, you know, there's some great restaurateurs um, out there, you know, that do an excellent job of building their culture with their staff. Um, but you know, I've had a lot of terrible experiences myself. A lot of great, like some great ones too. But I mean, yeah. uh, I hear more horror stories than anything. You know, where people talk, like say, like the, the simple, like the, the ones you were just talking about, and. Um, and I think that, in my opinion, I don't know if you believe if you agree with me, is that this is uh, very easy to come out of the way the whole industry is structured in general, mm-hmm. especially in North America. You know, being tip based, or you know, even from state to state in the in the U.S., how you know, like sometimes people people only get paid like a couple bucks an hour, yeah. and you know, it's it's based on their tips, so. That, that creates like a certain stress level that builds up, you know, in the staff. But then also I find that the owners, it's sort of, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a take on all ends because they get to dictate how everything's going to run. 
Yeah. And, and essentially it's almost like, I, I hate to use the word now. I, I don't, I'm not even going to go there, uh, <laughs> but, but um, it's, it's, it's manipulation. And yeah, no, it's, we, it's the service industry. Sorry to interject, but it, well, I'm not sorry to interject. I'm interjecting. I'm at deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we discussed that. <laughs> I mean, we discussed today. that yesterday or whatever. But no, I'll jump on that if you allow me to. It's, uh, it is. It's, it's severely manipulative, uh, and it's, it's archaic. Um, I, I have this argument with with chefs all the time when they post these memes about, you know, I've, uh, the past ten years. It's been story in the New York Times, story in the Washington Post, story in this. Here's a new celebrity chef or, or anonymous chef speaking out about how we can't work in the industry anymore or how we can't, how tough it is and how grueling it is. And here's what your lifestyle is like. And here much, here's how much it breaks you down. Here are the addictions that he's fallen for. And here's the, the sad friends, the friends that he's lost. And here's this, what was me? What was me? What was me? And then at the same time, that's usually posted by a chef who the post before was saying, I can't get any staff. Does, how come no one wants to work in my kitchen? Well, it's a self It's an oribus, which is a snake eating its tail. It's just on one hand, you're saying you got to be badass. You got to be able to get burned as your initiation to my kitchen. I'm going to pan burn you on the arm. You got to work 21 hour days. You're going to work for shit. Your relationship's going to go to shit. The day off that you do have is going to be spent half drunk, half doing laundry for your next shift. Your relationship's going to go to shit. Da, 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 da. And this is how much it's, this is like, this, you gotta, it's like Vietnam back here. And this is how tough chef life is. Great. Then on the same token, you're turning around and saying, I don't know why there's nobody signing up to work at my restaurant. It's because you don't change it. Because you're, you're, you're stuck in your archaic sensibility of the service industry has got to be this rite of passage. Look, I was, I was, I was lit on fire 13 times by my initial bar team. I in turn then had to haze the people that came in behind me. They had to wear my jeans that had all the burns on them on their first shift. We would lock people in the coolers in the, in the cages above the Roxy while we were working. Like I was, I was, I was locked in an ice machine for a shift. You know, I used to go home with chits of paper with cash value is with like 17, 18 chits of paper with from different bartenders about what I did wrong with a cash value and like maybe 25 bucks instead of, you know, 260 for my tip out until I got better. There was hazing. There was all sorts of shit that went on. And this is the, this is the old school mentality that's still kind of that we're trying to exercise from the service industry, right? Oh, these snowflakes, they can't take it. They can't take this life, you know, I burn somebody with a pen or tell them that, you know, to get their shit together and they start crying. Well, maybe stop yelling at them. Maybe not stop pulling them off the line. Maybe stop burning them with pants. Maybe stop, you know, stop this 21 hour a day cycle. Let's start taking care of our staff. Let's start looking at, and I know, I know across the board, most, most people in the service industry are getting this message, but I still see it. I still see comparisons to being in the army and you got, you know, in memes and stuff like that. And I'm like, why does it have to be that way? You know, you why don't you change it? Why don't you change your schedule at your restaurant? Why don't you change your working hours? Why don't you order? Or why don't you open? Why don't you open different hours? Why don't you provide a secondary prep shift? So your chefs don't have to start at 9am or 10am to collect, to be there for when orders, orders come in, you know, 
start integrating change in your own restaurant instead of going, you got to be the most badass motherfucker on the planet to work in my restaurant, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to yell at you. You got to be able to take it. You got to be able to work. You got to go home tired and sore. You got to drink, you know, a case of beer every night to keep up. Like, no, man. No, you're, you're perpetuating an archaic, archaic system that's burning people out and causing people to collapse and, you know, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just stupid. It's a stupid flag to carry. That whole, and, the, the, the whole, uh, you want to roll with the boys. You got to, you got to drink like the boys. Yeah, man. Or work like the boys. That's yeah. what it is. You got to, you got to work in this, you know, like, like, you know, how many, how many amazing female chefs and, and, and kitchen, kitchen folk and uh, pastry chefs that I know that come, have, have come into that, come through that system. And the guys are like, Oh yeah, she's a badass. She's a badass. No, she's a badass because she's a badass. She's not a badass because she went through your stupid fucked up system. You're an asshole for putting her through it. You didn't make her tougher as a person. She already had that in her. Yeah. You may have brought it out in her. Mm-hmm. You made it, made it, but you didn't have to, she would have come to that conclusion by herself. She, the talent was there. You just nurtured it in a really messed up bullshit way because that was your old boy's way of doing things. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. I, I always, I always felt, I always felt for the women in the old boys kitchens that I've worked in in the past. And you know what? Like I've seen, I've seen some really strong women come into that. Yeah, and already have that ability to handle it. Yeah. You know, and the guys like that exact thing where it's just like, you know, like the behind underhanded sort of like around the corner sort of conversation. And they can't, they can't seem it's, it's, it's literally described as toxic masculinity. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I watched, uh, my apprentice chef, uh, throw a hot plate, at, like a full hot plate ready sitting under the heat lamp at a server once, you know, because she couldn't get shit straight or she couldn't. Oh, you know what? You know, like, you know what? Hey, full disclosure. I was that guy. Yeah. I'll put my hand up, guy. putting my hand I, up right I, now. I, was totally guilty, guilty as charged, man. I, for, for everybody, not just, not just, it didn't matter what mm-hmm. race, nationality, gender you were. It didn't matter anything. I was a hard ass because I, I, and I'm not justifying saying, Oh, because of the people above me or because that's no, because I would challenge, I would, that was just how I was raised. I was raised, uh, you know, my, my father was a sergeant major in the military, you know, so I was raised on a, you know, a very disciplined way of old school, disciplined way of approach to the service industry. Also, I worked with, you know, chefs that were, there was very little uh, excuse, room for excuse or error. It was like, hey, that went out with the wrong garnish my cocktails went out with the wrong garnish, I'd be called to the past to talk to the chef about it. Was that the way that we presented it? No. Was that the way that you originally, you, you sh- sh- tasted the, the team on it? No. Well, why is it going out that way? Well, because we got these new, th- uh, you know, whatever in, and I wanted to try, well, try that with something else. That's not how that cocktail looks. You should know better than why are you, why are you slouching on your own standards? Right. So I was, you know, I, I was terrifying to a lot of, a lot of the people that came up under me, you know, sure. They give me credit now and they, you know, they're, they're not, I hope they're not mad at me, you know, but you know, I'm sure they still have nightmares about me sometimes, but I like to think that I'm, I'm an intense dude. And Mm -hmm. I I take, I took, I took this way too, way too seriously at at certain points. And uh, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. But now looking at it from, 
you know, hindsight and looking at it moving forward. And I still see people perpetuating these sort of uh, displays of aggression or these displays of pompous wank festery. Like you've got to just be that guy or be that girl or be that person. And you, that's just the way the industry is, is, is a bunch of bullshit. And it's, it could be the death knell of the industry moving forward because they can't find people to work in, in restaurants anymore. Everyone's tapped. Well, yeah. I mean, like, that's another part of the conversation that I wanted to roll into was like, you know, we had COVID-19, we we still do, you know, we have a, uh, a pandemic that's rolling through the world and, uh, you know, shut down. It's, it's shut down some of my favorite spots completely. Yeah. It shut down the bar I was that I was working at, and right. uh, you know it hasn't reopened. Uh, that's probably you know like that. That's more for other reasons I think. But uh, at the same time, um, you know it's 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 also kind of been a blessing for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, myself included. Uh, but uh, you know it's it's kind of like you're like where you're going with where I'm going with this is kind of like to add to your comment. You know, as being. Um, a necessity for a reset yeah man. you know where where we're looking at the industry we have to look at the industry in a different way how do we do it better you know how, how do how do we bring up the young the new generation better how do we inspire them to want to stay and become a professional in something that's so notoriously terrible for your health and your 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 mind and even your pocketbook but caveat to that Mm-hmm. It's only detrimental to your health, your mental health, your pocketbook, and everything else because we built it that way. Yeah. COVID allowed everybody to be humbled, to take a step back, to be introspective, to reassess the way that they do business, to reassess the way that they treat their staff, to reassess the way that they recruit. And now moving forward, they're going to have to get really creative and really follow through because now, like for instance, I have a there's a, a great bartender here in town who remains on. If I say, people will figure out who he is because I'll just say that he works double shift at I think four different restaurants slash bars pubs, um, six days a week. I think he six or seven days a week. He works doubles, sometimes triples. So he's but he's got a nice rhythm going on. He's got breaks in between, and he's got his days off with this girl, and he's got like he knows what he's doing with it right now. But he's really and he's planning on taking switching to a, a slower schedule come fall, but he wants to make a little bit sunshine. So here he is working lots. And um, he's getting calls daily from other places, begging him to work because he's, he's one of the guys that works a lot. And they're like, Oh, he's resourceful. He shows up. He's, he works a lot. He's dedicated. He's looking for hours. Whereas other people are just scrambling. I mean, there was pubs here that were closed this week because I went to, I went to find a place for lunch the other day on mo- last Monday and four to the five places that I went to were closed for the day and because they didn't have staff mm-hmm. to show up. So I think it's, it, I think, I hope that restaurants and restaurateurs and management and staff are all looking at a better way, a healthier way and a healthier pace of where they can maybe have two different shifts. Hey, if, you know, if everybody only wants to work 16, 16 days, 16 hours a week, great. Well, now you have to, or, or you can hire a secondary staff that only works 16 hours a week and you'll get it across the line and maybe you'll have more of a work-life balance with people. Maybe you'll have better infrastructure and better better boundaries with, with what you expect of your staff. 
I find that the one thing that came in um, really solid when I did have, I worked at a restaurant where I split my bar managing role with another chap that was awesome. You know, like we've, we bounced cocktails off each other. It was just, it was such a great time. And, you know, splitting that role allowed us to be like, allowed it to be like, Hey, he's got a great idea. You know, Oh man, you know what? I know how to make that. I know how Mm -hmm. to prep that. I know how to get it going. I'll come in and do the early shifts next week and I'll get everything prepped. You can do the night shifts. Right. And oh. then, you know, and then the rest of our staff around that, um, you know, only worked, you know, like four hours, four hour spots for our shifts, your five hours, you know, and uh, everybody was so happy and so excited to be at work. It was, it was, uh, it, it was definitely an eye opener in the way things could have been run. And that was, that was a decade ago now, you know, like, yeah. uh, but it's, it's not, it wasn't ever very many people that were doing it. Right. Remember the lake, the Lakeview rest, the Lakeview is a, it's a diner in uh, Toronto. And I went to, I went for a job interview there once I did newsflash. I didn't get the job. Um, I, <laughs> I ended up by uh, taking a job somewhere else, but um, the manager there, he said that uh, his employees um, rest was of his utmost, you know, like it was of utmost importance to him. Mm-hmm. And he he was very adamant that uh, he wanted to hire people that weren't j- jumping and running to another job. He wanted to hire people that were like, okay, well, working at the Lakeview is going to be your main gig. Yeah. You know? So when you're off, you're off. He wanted to know that when you had the weekend off every other weekend that you know you weren't going to work 16 hours saturday and sunday yeah today saturday and sunday and then come back on monday and be toast right yeah. he's like he's like yeah he's like if you're he's like you work those 4 hours you come in and you crush it you'll walk out with $300 cash yeah um but if you don't doesn't it just doesn't work like the the math never added up like he'd see people come in burnt out and he's like they never made the same amount of money as anybody else as everybody else, you know, they were, they're curt to their tables. You know, they were, they were just too tired. They were too shitty. Yeah. You know, and, well, and that's, uh, why I was, that's why I said, you know, I tell myself that I teach myself that time is the greatest commodity. I mean, I've never been busier, Nate. <clears throat> I have so much going on right now. I've never been busier. I've never been more. Uh, I've never had the world trying to run me off my feet more, mm-hmm. but what I do is I, I try to compact my time. I try to get as much done as I can. Uh, during the day I go as I don't go like as hard as I can, but I go fast. I go to fast clip. I uh, try to get things off my docket right away. Um, you know, if I have, uh, if I have a deadline three weeks from now on a survey or on, on an order or something like that, I'll, I'll get it done that day if I can and get it away. So I don't forget, I don't have all this stuff on my back. And then I have the whole night just to chill, relax. And if something comes up, a curveball happens, I can handle it. I doesn't, it doesn't hit me like it used to. I mean, I, I have, I have uh, in the past, and I've, I've gone through years of work on it. I've had massive, massive uh, anxiety issues, um, stress, um, uh, overwhelm, overwork. I mean, my parents bought me a, a beautiful painting of a candle burning at both ends that used to be at the end of my hallway for years and used to be there. 
um, as my birthday present because that that was a representation of how I lived my life. You know, um, I just wasn't getting the message. Uh, I wasn't telling myself. I wasn't changing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the onus on on us as individuals in the service industry is to start supporting each other with the with the support that needed to say it's okay to have those boundaries. You know, if you can come in and get you know like if you can come in and get a uh, eight hour workday done in four hours and then be off. If you come in and get all your prep done in four mm-hmm. hours. Who's to say that you have to stay there for the other four? It's archaic. Mm-hmm. Get it done in four hours. Get out the door if you can, and, and or balance it out. Or if you have mm-hmm. a if you have a better way of working, you know that's more time efficient and allows you to free up your time. Free up your time as much as possible. And if you don't have a, if you don't have coworkers that support that, you're in the wrong place. If you don't have an employer that doesn't that supports that, you're in the wrong place mm-hmm. because you're working in an antiquated system that's built on some sort of old egoic pride based you know, flag carrying, uh, this is how restaurants are. This is how the industry is. Yeah. No, it's not. It's I had that. I, I had that. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I've definitely seen, I've definitely been part of that where it's like, you know, I, I, I rose up and be, and uh, started managing the the team at a, at a location I was at. And, uh, and it was, um, I, I, I always suggested, Hey, why don't we start doing it? Why don't we do like have like a prep shift that's in the afternoon? You know, we open up at five. Uh, why, don't, why don't we get shit done? Yeah. So that when the people come into work, the evening shift are ready to go so that they yeah. don't have to run around, <laughs> you know, and scrub things, scrub the bar, uh, pull like, like portion, portion shit off and, you know, like just, stock fridges and do all this and that right uh but it was there was no the one person that works that shift has to do all of that shit in one hour yeah you know and also redo it again yeah at one o'clock in the morning yeah 30 minutes then do their cash before they get the fuck out yeah you know i'm like no 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 and 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 part of part of my like no awakening here is that you know i was just like that exactly is the statement you're saying is i said no i'm just yeah. like no you gotta say no i i you know like uh i i've got phone calls from people or like and messages say asking me if i can come and work for them you know if i if i'm if i want to come back and work you know the most audacious one i got asked to go come back and work at a fucking nightclub i've i've had that as well i had one last week where a job that i used to i i worked for uh, a long time, um, and was working 21 hour days, six days a week, sometimes seven, um, gave me the opportunity to, to, to come talk, talk again about maybe working there. And I was like, no, and they're like, ah, we thought you'd say no. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. It's not that I, I didn't, I wasn't appreciative of the gesture. It was just, I'm, I'm so beyond that lifestyle now. And I don't know where they're at as a company. I don't know if they've changed it at all or if they've, they've, you know, I loved working there, but it was, I, I'm just in a different headspace now. Right. And, and, and allowing yourself to say no, uh, when you, when you, you're in the, a, a new headspace allows you to grow and allows you to continue on your journey in a healthy way. And the other thing is right now, I, there's no excuse not to say no to things that are detrimental to you. You have pick of the litter. You know, any one of us can walk out on the street today, go up to a bar or restaurant and say, hey, 
can I grab a shift? You need some help? And they will need help. They're desperate. Oh, yeah. for it. It's mm-hmm. a very, very odd predicament that we find ourselves in as an industry, but it's also a great way to find um, the place that you want to work, that you truly want to work and, and that supports you um, in your lifestyle that you want to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, the going back to the way things are set up and, you know, like the, like the, the way the industry is set up, I, uh, I, I, I was definitely, uh, privy to a lot of theft yeah. from the establishment, like the, like the, sorry, yeah. the establishment stealing from the staff. Yeah. And uh, now that, you know, like we have this conversation, I think about it more openly. It's like, wow, it's not just, it wasn't just like theft from like money. It was sort of like theft of energy. Energy and time. And it was all, and it's all usually done under the premise of, you know, a family or a tight knit tight knit group of friends or Mm -hmm. the camaraderie. It's all like, Hey, and then it's like, or, or just knowing that, you know, how many places did you work at where you knew that management mm-hmm. were, were on the take or how many, how many jobs did I work at that I was promised a bonus. And then the, when it was time for a bonus, they'd nitpick every little dime off that they could to get you down to the bare minimum of getting your bonus or not giving you your bonus at all. Right. Or promising you things. And I'm not to say that, not to say that every place that I've worked is at that dark side or whatever. Like there's been lots of people that aren't like that. Lots of restaurateurs that I've worked for that have been amazing. Oh, you, know, yeah. provided, you know, there's places like, you know, rods and, and other places that provided staff meals and, um, you know, that have a medical and dental program for their staff mm-hmm. and go out of the way. But I think there's, there's a lot more that there's a lot more to it than that. I think that there's, there's, uh, there's all that kind of stuff. When you look at tip out, I mean, I worked at one place that I did 8.5% tip out when industry standard was 1.5. The, the fact like, that there's an industry standard <laughs> is just fucked up. Yeah. You know, um, I remember, you know, as a bartender, when I, in my early years being, able, being around, being like going a few times, like, you know, where the, the, the owner jumped on to help, you know? And I'm like, Fucking awesome, man. Yeah. You know, like, that's great. Didn't offer him a dime. Do you know yeah. why? Because his 60% profit on all the spirits, all the drinks yeah. that I'm fucking selling is going into his pocket or, yeah. you, know, you know, like, or to pay bills or whatever, right? Like he's making money. That person's making money as you're doing this. And then they're sitting there a lot of times, like I found and complaining, going, Oh, I don't make money. Like, I, I, got, I, got, I really think it has to start with us though too, Nate. It has to start mm-hmm. with, with, with the people that on the front lines saying, okay, this is messed up. Let's not work this anymore. And it can't just be a gripe. It has to be a solution base. So the, like a lot of the time it would be like, and I say this from a management position in a lot of these cases, it would be like, we don't like this, fix it. We don't like this, fix it. We don't like this, fix it. We don't like this. So we're just going to gripe about it or not talk to you about it or whatever. And it's like, well, what's your solution? Like if all you do is talk about what an idiot manage, what idiots management are or or how evil the owners are or whatever the case may be, what are you, what are you suggesting? Like either go work somewhere else where you're not, where you you, you don't have this issue or get solution based, get Mm -hmm. together. You know, if you're such a tight knit family, then address it. 
you know? And I think that we all have to start addressing it. And it can't just be like, uh, it can't just be, oh, this is, this is mental health awareness day in, for the service industry. This is the one time this year that we're going to talk about something. This can't be, oh, we're going to have an in- inclusive, uh, it, we're going to have a, we're going to be inclusive or we need to be more diverse or we need to be this. We're going to, everyone in our, in our industry is going to come together and we're going to do a, uh, do something about awareness of a certain issue or whatever. And then that becomes more of the thing than actually addressing the actual issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It becomes more of a, Hey, we got to put on this event. It's a fundraiser. We got to put on this. It becomes more of like, uh, another, another time vampire or another thing that you put all this energy into it, it doesn't, it's not addressing the, the, the issue. Um, it's great to see organizations like mind the bar, um, with great people behind it that, you know, that you're going to get some results from that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I just see like in, in different, I see a lot of industry right now waving the mental, mental health and awareness. And I'm all for that. Like, yeah, let's shine a spotlight on it. Great. But we can't let that, that, flag become more than the actual base grassroots issue yeah, and it, it becomes a mask is what you're saying right yeah well it just becomes it just becomes the thing that you throw the issue at right but the, but the flag than, doesn't fix yeah like it's like thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers it's well thoughts and prayers are the two things that you can sit on your couch and, and do nothing about and just wish away wish towards mm-hmm. somebody via a post or let's wear an orange t-shirt or a red t-shirt, a blue green, green t-shirt. Like, but unless you write your MLA, unless you talk to your management, unless you go and talk to the kitchen staff about what issues they're facing, unless you uh, go behind the bar and, and, and talk to that bartender who has aggression issues or has a drinking problem or is out seven nights a week and only works three and, and is showing up, you know, disheveled or, or fighting with his girlfriend outside the bar or whatever, unless you actually go and take action, it's just all Facebook posts and, and flag waving. And it, it, it's not addressing the issue in a, in a solution based way. And I think that we have to start as individuals being more accountable to ourselves and to our coworkers and to our owners and to the management to say, Hey, you know what, if you guys are all about this, then let's really be about this. Let's really go and look at it. What's the schedule like? How come we're working 21 out, 16 to 21 hours a day, six mm-hmm. nights a week? Because I'm sorry, your organization or your meeting or your whatever, or your flag or your Facebook post or whatever we're donating to this month isn't addressing that. So let's address that first before we go and do the, get you know, start waving our flag. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, like, why, why not look at it and go, okay, so Johnny comes in, you know, at uh, X hour in the day to start a shift. And what, what was he doing the night before, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, you know what yourself, what that person was doing. And I found that, I find that um, it was, oh, you know, like the onus is on that person to fix themselves here to come to it. And it, and it is, you know, like we, we have to, we have to come to our own terms and understand things on our own, but as someone running an establishment and managing people, we have to be attuned to what's happening in their lives. And, and I found that, um, you know, like if I could, if I could see that somebody is having relationship issues or if somebody's having, 
um, you know, mental health issues or something like that, I got to go, okay, well, you know what, I got to fix their schedule a bit. I got to, I got to, I got to help ease that burden for them. And maybe I need yeah. to hire somebody else right now to fill well, in those hours. Exactly. Or, or why not, why not, instead of waiting for that to happen or to address it, maybe just go, Hey, I'm going to be proactive. This is the ideal situation. This is the ideal environment. This is the ideal schedule. This is the ideal level of service. This is mm-hmm. the ideal. This is the most extreme that I'm going to ever push my staff. This is the most I'm going to ever ask out of them. Um, ahead of time before it gets to that point i think the whole industry has gone well beyond that point and now mm-hmm. it's kind of a reckoning unfortunately where everyone has to look at this and go okay like how do we how do we change this how do we how do we switch it because we're gonna we're gonna lose out here we're gonna lose good people you know we're gonna lose good people whether they leave the industry as a whole or they or they we lose them like from the planet because they we've we've actually killed them off with whether it's been through excessive behavior after work or on on their days off or whether it's been violence or whether it's been drunk drinking and driving or whatever the case may be we're gonna lose them mm-hmm. so let's you know, like even even down to the even down to the um down to the point of like, you know, like unsafe workplaces and stuff, you know, in terms of like people, you know, like I know, I know people that have been stabbed at work. Yeah. Um, you know, just because there was no backup system, there was no conversation on how to handle anything or, you know, uh, you're, you're responsible because you are, we're, we're basically dealing drugs. Oh, we're the last legal, uh, last legal drug dealers. So Simon used to, Simon used to Simon Ogden said, "Oh, it's the last. Welcome to the to the shit show. We're the last legal drug dealers." <laughs> and Neil said, "It's the it's the lowest form of theater. So you combine those two things, and it gets it can get. I mean, I've had people shot dead in front of me before. I've had, you know, I've seen some stab. One summer, I had um, 11, 11 um, subpoenas to appear in court as a witness, and nine uh, wedding invitations from people that I knew from the industry or regular. So that sort of that picture of looking at my fridge and seeing 20 invites and 11 were for court and nine were for celebration kind of put it in perspective for me, how Mm -hmm. crazy this industry can be. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, that That was stuff that that was, that was 11 subpoenas for stuff that I witnessed on the job. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, which, which is just, yeah. Um, I've been there We're working, working in, uh, working in Vancouver has definitely been one of those, uh, you know, I came out from Toronto thinking that we were hardcore there. <laughs> you, are. I, you, know, you know what Toronto people will be upset, you know, for me comparing this because I've seen some pretty, pretty messed up shit here. Yeah. Uh, but on another level, um like op- like the the open drug use here uh was something that just blew my mind yeah um and the violence in the streets in terms of things that never went never gets reported you know the the neighborhoods that we work in you know and the struggles that we see every day that was also something that um you know like it's also something that can affect um a person's emotions and uh you know 
energies when they're coming to work. You know, I found that uh, working at Gastown was was a tough one for me every day. You know, just walking from walking through Hastings every day, and just yeah. just seeing that 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 gloom and that the, the negativity that was there, and just being in it constantly, and having to explain it again and again and again yeah. to you know a tourist that's coming in to sit at my wood. You know, um, but there is well, one and then also reconciling for me. It was always reconciling, like reconciling my role in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had, I've had regulars that have fallen down that path mm-hmm. and been like, well, I've, I've had a guy, I've, I've had one of my regulars die at my bar. Yeah. I've been, you know, I've been, uh, this is a, this is not like a like a oh once in a while regular. This is like daily nine a.m. You know, eleven a.m. Opening his shadows at the door, waiting for us to open daily, and everyone just treating it like oh he's just in for his four pints before he goes fruit picking, and then you know you're sitting there waiting for him one day, and you're like, where is he? And you ask around, and they're like, oh, didn't you hear he died of what? Oh, liver failure. Well, go figure. But no one ever stopped. You know, I've, I've had, unfortunately I've had, you know, uh, occasions where, you know, you, you're, you and your team serve somebody the whole night and then you go to walk off shift and he's being arrested outside your bar because he curb stomped somebody curb stomped some guy walking by. And it's like, ugh, like what's your role in that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think and, you and I, you and I have had that conversation before um, where, you know, we're, we were like, oh, um, it's like, I like where I, I think I started, I said something about, uh, I was really feeling like I was contributing to poisoning people. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about the, 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 the standards of, you know, roll with the boys, drink with the boys and the, like the coin, you know, having the coin for the shots and how you have to present it. And then, and uh, hey, don't get me wrong. I love ceremony and I love tradition. Oh yeah, yeah. They're uh, integral to a part of work. But when they become a pissing match, or they become the cool thing to do, and it becomes that wank fest kind of edge to it, it's like it becomes like a marketing thing, or it becomes mm-hmm. like, a, you know, sure, everyone likes getting iced. Do you like getting? Is it smart to ice your friend nine times in a row in the same day? <laughs> no, and think it's funny. Yeah. Uh, no. You know. Right. Sorry, Nate. Carry on. So, so some things can be done tastefully, is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Just yeah. Within within reason, right? Um. But uh, you know, and I, I found like I find like what do you? I mean, you've seen this too. It's the it's the shot that's waiting for you. That free, yeah. free shot that's that's there, and I thought it was cool. I was like, yeah, man, I finally made it. Every bar I go to, they know me, and they're like already got a shot of Fernet or Jameson or something sitting on the bar, you know, and it's, uh, and I was doing it too, to everybody, you know, and I found that, uh, oh, in the last about like half a year before COVID hit and we all shut down, there was this, um, sort of a silence on that people, like a moratorium to the shot being poured for you. It was now becoming a question. It's like, hey man, so what's your plans for the day? Are you tying one on? 
do you want to do a shot? And, uh, you know, and, uh, half the time, at least you would get people go, no, man, I, uh, I want to stay sober tonight because I want to go back and work my shift, you know, and I want to, you know, do it right. And, uh, like, like, like you're, you're saying, you know, it has to be on us to fix things from the ground up because if it's not fixing from the top down, it's, you know, we have to do the work. And I think that's, we we can't rely on somebody else up, up, up above us to start making all, you know, these big decisions for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, or wait for them to come up with a solution. We've got to start enforcing it ourselves and being taking care of each other a little more. And, you know, and starting that, that trend of, you know, being mindful and, and that, and that, that, the hopes that that will actually take on from the top down at some point and, you know, and they'll be able to look at it and go, Hey, this is, this is the environment. This is, this is the uh, culture that we create from now on. Well, how about as a collective, we're not going to stand for it. Yeah. You know, um, like point blank, like, Hey, if, 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 if this is an abusive system where abuse is this antiquated, archaic, uh, abuse is being perpetuated over and over because it was a rite of passage passage or a bag bad rite of passage or a badge of honor, then we're just not interested in working here anymore. Um, there's a lot of places out there that are looking for people right now that um, we'll approach. It's kind of the image comics approach to things, you know, the seven top creators at Marvel walking out and saying, we don't like the system anymore. We're no longer working for you. We're no longer creating comics for you because this is a horrible system and you're not listening to us. And then they mm-hmm. walked across the street to DC and they walked in and they said, hi, we know that we, we know that we just, we want to let you know that we just quit Marvel. And they're like, amazing. They're like, no, no, don't get too excited. Cause we're not working for you either because your archaic antiquated system doesn't care for us either. And it's not going to take care of us. Doesn't care about our mental health and wellness. Doesn't care about our creators' rights. So we're going to go do our own thing. And maybe that's some of that spirit has to happen in our industry. I don't think it does. I think that most ownership and restaurateurs that I talk to, and I trust me, I I, I know a lot, and I, I love the majority of them. Um, they get it. They're starting mm-hmm. to get it. They just need they just need some more collaborative effort from from us. And we need to stop with this cycle of yeah, it's cool to just constantly go out and get shit-faced and shit-faced and shit-faced and perpetuate it because it's a brand party or this brand or that brand is sponsoring this or sponsoring that. Well, great. But it's, it's not doing anybody in our, in, our, in our industry any favors if we just mm-hmm. continue to go out and act like jackasses within that, play up to it and be performative for, for, for whoever's t- telling us to jump through hoops. It's time to take care of each other. I was, I I remember once saying, um, that sarcastically that we were all just the collective class clowns from every different high school. Guaranteed. I was a class clown completely because that's, that was my survival tactic. Yeah. Make all the guys laugh and they won't beat me up. (laughs) You know, and then it was, then it was realizing, you know, years later now that, uh, you know, like a lot of it was dealing with social anxiety. Oh, a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I took every opportunity to, to slink into the background and, and disappear during when COVID hit. I was like, great. I don't have to perform anymore. Cancel all my social media or the majority of it anyway. Barely post anything. Take mm-hmm. care of what I needed to take care of. Take care of myself. Take care of my family. Take care of my relationships. You know, really get back to who I am. Discover who I am outside of the industry. Like really figure out who I am outside of my, my job, outside of my 
lore or my whatever mm-hmm. was I, I, my career had propped me up to be, you know, cause that was nothing. Right. That's not who I am. Right. And yeah. stop, stop propagating and perpetrating the same shit over and over again, because I, you think you have some sort of imaginary rep or, or legend to maintain, like, you know, just invest in yourself, right? Start, start getting therapy. I am a flat. One thing I will wave the flag for is therapy. You know, people ask me, Oh, like, what do you do? I go to therapy, whether I need it or not. I've, <laughs> I've great therapists. You know? I'm actually looking for one right now. I have four great ones that I can suggest to you right away. Right. Awesome. I, you know, I, 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 I float as much as I can, like go in a sensory deprivation tank for an hour and a half once a week, mm-hmm. shut everything down, limit your screen time. I know that these things sound like so parental, but it's true. You have to self-police yourself. You have to take care of your mental, mental um, health and wellness. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you get on with sleep? Do you have a, do you have a regime? I don't necessarily have a regime, um, but I go to bed a lot earlier than I used to, I, you know, like on average, I, I'll go to bed around nine 30. Yeah. Um, some nights I'll just make a plan to be in bed by nine 30 ish. And then just like either read or watch something, which we don't have a television in the bedroom. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, it's just bad feng shui in general to have TV in your, in your bedroom, but it's bad, bad. It's bad for your energy. It's bad for your, for your circadian rhythm. Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a, a lot of, a lot of bedtime ritual. Um, but I try not to drink coffee beyond morning, maybe in the afternoon, I might have an iced coffee, but you know, I'm not drinking coffee in the evening anymore. I used to drink four pints of coffee a night at, uh, on my well, my porter would come by and refill my coffee. I would have a beer pint, you know, 20 ounces of, of coffee four times, four times a night, at least with four sugar. Wow. Yeah, at that, at that, at that rate, you should have almost just had a cocaine habit. <laughs> exactly right, but I was—I yeah. never really—I never really dabbled in in drugs at work um, because because I was responsible because I had mm-hmm. to because I was a porter. In yeah. fact, I made I made a promise to to every bar staff that I worked at that I would drank my face off though. I'll tell you that. You know, um, every, every, almost every night in the nightclub days, you know, 20, 30 shots at least a night. Yeah, you know. Hence going from, Hey, I, I went to fitness world. I got a membership and I've been working out for four months to, Hey, it's the end of summer and I'm 260 pounds of fat of Jaeger fat. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, Jerry, it's not, it's not just the Jaegers. It's the, you know, it's the hot dogs, the gourmet hot dogs, you know, with Everything. like, with like 1800 milligrams of sodium in them, you know, yeah. like Megabyte you're, you're, you're retaining water from shit. You're, 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 you know, it's like, yeah it's unreal like people people don't realize we don't and, and like they do now i mean the younger generation coming in um you know it's uh i find that they tend to be practicing um these the mindfulness like practicing their mindfulness uh, before work and during work and after work you know uh like they tend to be doing a lot more things that we weren't doing you yeah. know because we were handed these these habits down and uh you know i think that part of the reason of this wanting to do this podcast is to sort of, I guess, selfishly kind of like realize, like talk to people and talk about things and, you know, like understand that you're not alone, that, you know, there are many people that go through this. Yeah. Um, that go through all these things, the struggles, you know, and while they're, while you're achieving greatness, while you're doing awesome things, you know, and while you're wearing that facade, 
that like that face on the outside that everybody's like, Oh man, that guy, that guy's such an amazing bartender. Sick. He shows up every day. He can tell, tells all these great stories, but uh, do you really know the guy? No. And you know, like, and everything that we put out really isn't what we put out. Like, I, I think that it, it would be very interesting for, for, you know, it's been shocker to a lot of people in my life to know that like, Hey, guess what? While I was, flying on jets to different countries and winning competitions and being in the ambassador for all these brands. I was living in my car mm-hmm. that I've over the past seven years, I've moved 14 times, including twice living in my car, hiding my, hiding my clothes in, in the woods while I'm on work with, with my boss out from Toronto because I didn't want to know that I was homeless. Meanwhile, on social media, like, woo, I'm on a plane here, or I'm in Kentucky there, or I'm doing this there, but I know that I'm coming back and I'm struggling. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had seven years of hardcore, hardcore kicking the teeth after kicking the teeth after, you know, depression, you know, suicidal thoughts, suicidal, close to, close to ending it, you know, lots of mental health issues and massive. Uh, anxiety, been in and out of hospital for it, uh, like hospitalized for it, um, stuff like that, man. And that I've never told anybody, or I've told very few few people know, know about me, mm-hmm. because the the image that I've perpetuated over those years was, hey, I'm just Mister Mister Class Clown Jerry Job. I'm just here to entertain y'all because that was just a survival tactic, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, like, so nowadays I'm like, you know, some of my friends are like, oh. I, therapy uh, i'm like what's wrong go to go to talk to somebody about your feelings go to talk to somebody work some shit out mm-hmm. you'll be better for it oh but i don't want people to think that something's wrong with me but something is wrong with you some the thing that's wrong with you is you don't want to talk about it you're you're a ball, ball of mixed energy that you need to straighten out mm-hmm. you know you need, you need to do stuff like you need to do yoga need your meditation for 10 minutes a day give your brain a rest you know, I'm you actually probably going to meditate later after this. Yeah. yeah. Like you got to do stuff like that. You got to integrate that stuff and you, there's no shame or there shouldn't be any stigma behind it. There shouldn't be any shame behind it. You know, I'm like, you know, getting called up for not drinking. And I'm like, what are we 12? What are we like? What are we like 19? And like at your first bar, like, oh, well, you can't do it. You pussy. Da, 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 da. It's like, really? Like, seriously? Like, don't make me turn my liver on. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't make me slap you with my liver boy <laughs> I, I i have to say that you know sure i've been I've, I've had my my points of sloppiness when i've been been intoxicated before and i've I've had my nights but i've never ever thankfully knock on wood had an issue of turning it off where i know people that just don't have that mm-hmm. that can't drink you know 10 shots a night or 20 shots a night as a career for six years straight and then shut it off. They get out of the industry and they start getting shakes, you know? Me, I've always been able to cold turkey it on, on spot, mm-hmm. on, on rip, off rip, right off rip, you know? Oh, it's my dad's birthday uh, in, in August, August 12th. I'm going to stop drinking for the summer now. Dude, you've been going hard all summer. I know I'm just going to stop. You, can just, you can't just stop. I've, I've had the ability to do that. I know that others just aren't blessed with the same thing, right? So it's tough. So get yourself some help. And be unabashedly unashamed of it. I'll be friends. You know? I mean, even if you even if you don't think you need it, you need it. Ther- therapy, yeah, you need it. If you don't think you need it, you need it. Therapy can make you become the best human 
that you can possibly be. And or, a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And that person that you, that you discover you are in therapy is, is completely different than who you really are, who you think you are, right. Who you yeah. are at work. Right. It's, it's like, I've been learning to, you know, as a person, respect everybody else's narrative of what's going on and that yours is completely different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's going to be shockingly different and your reaction to that might be something that someone else is not prepared for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this goes into, you know, like interactions in the workplace. And so understanding how your narrative plays out in your head when you're speaking with a therapist and understanding why you do the things that you do or who you, how you are, who you are, then it becomes a lot easier to relate to others and manage others, you know, yeah. useful newsflash, getting to know yourself <laughs> helps yeah. you get to know other people better. Well, and I think that was the big uncomfortable, uh, you know, if the title of the book is the big uncomfortable, you know, a year and a half of what COVID taught us, right? Because mm -hmm. you had to be comfortable at home in your own skin with your own thoughts. You kind of had to get back to your family, your friends from high school, your relationships now your relationships that you've had in the past I, I know like most people i know spent a lot of a lot of the time during covid kicking the shit out of themselves in their own head beating themselves up about their past about their mistakes about their because you had the time to think about it right mm -hmm. but now that we've had time to think about it okay how are we going to act on it how are we going to move mm -hmm. forward here are we going to just open things up and suddenly everybody's just going to start acting like idiots again run out and go fall back into old habits. I'm sure some of us have, I've watched some people already start, but a lot of the people are like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool, man. I'm just going to hang out at home and barbecue or make, make my eat, stay on my healthy lifestyle or, or implement those changes or stick on, on with my therapy or my counseling because it's healthy or focus on my pet, you know, pay more attention to my mm -hmm. dog, get out and go for walks with my dog more. And I don't know. It's, it's it, it, COVID was uncomfortable for a lot of people because that's that's what they had to go through. But there's no shame in moving forward, whatever whatever stage you're at now. Just just make sure that you just keep walking it because it's it's healthy. It's healthier than it was when you were, you know. The, the, often the things that we pine for, oh, I wish I could just work, or I wish I could be beyond a bar right now, or the things that are actually detrimental to who we are or who we are to our to our health, right? We, we praise our demons too much. We give them too much weight and, and attention. Right. Right. Just out of um, respect. I, and I want to honor your time that you have because you're busy yet. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're approaching the two hour mark here. Yeah. We can, we can. It's up to you. I've got all the time in the world, but <laughs> yeah, man. Well, if you got, if you've got some, something to, that you wanted to end on or some, another question or anything that like, you're interested in. Yeah. You know, um, I think that uh, I think that we've pretty much got, gathered a bunch of the stuff that we were talking about, and uh, you know, I I really last conversation that I had, I we really got in, we kind of got into a little bit of like what's happening in the world, and uh, you know, like things that are going on, and anything that stands out to you um, from a hospitality point of view, because we look at things a lot differently and see things, you know, like. 
I get a, I get a lot just, of this. I just think we got to get back off, take, take it down off our pedestal and get back to being humble and putting, putting forth a good product, putting forth a good effort. And we got to get back to my philosophy has always been we, the one thing that we do when we, when we go to work is we play restaurant. I used to say that to the staff after staff meal, when everybody be washing up and getting their aprons on and about to be service, we're about to unlock the door. I'd be like, okay, everybody, let's go play restaurant. And it, it is, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's, it's, uh, but more so than that, you have an audience to this theater and you have the opportunity to make or break someone's evening. And we've sort of turned that on ourselves and it made it more about, the celebrity bartender, the celebrity chef, the, 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 the wanting, the pining, the, uh, you know, wanting to be the most creative or be the most, have the most spotlight or be in the book or have the magazine article or have the, the thing. And I think we got to get back to just putting forth a good plate of food. Like my dear friend, chef James Hanna said, just put out a good plate of food and put out a good drink and make somebody's night. I think we need to understand that it's not about us. It's about our audience and we need to take care of ourselves so that we can be able to do that rather than sacrifice our own health, mental and physical in the pursuit of making ourselves look great or grand or be the celebrity or be the, the star of the show. Uh, the, the customer is the star of the show. You know, we got to get back to just making people's nights. Yeah, I was going to say um, one thing that I really love right now is the the positivity around reopening of restaurants and, you know, the energy that people are really putting into it. Yeah. Is, um, you know, that they're, they're like, people are like, yeah, it's great. I think uh, one of them was, uh, I saw a post uh, from Jez, you know, and he's, he's talking about, uh, he's, he's talking about how he got put on a wait list for six restaurants in a row. Saturday night, I believe it was. And I'm like, huh. I'm like, he's like, that's amazing to see, you know, you know, that we're, that Vancouver is back to life and yeah. you know, things are coming that way. But, uh, you know, we have to understand that that's, that's awesome. But there are still a lot of people out there that are still in fight or flight and still yeah. fucking scared, you know, yeah. and, and, um, I don't think, I don't think rushing into this madly is going to solve anything No, right now. I think like baby steps, you know, like, and, and it's, this is, this is something I think the industry has to do. Um, like, you know, it just consciously take it one step at a time reopening, mm-hmm. not, not just because Bonnie Henry says you're in stage three. Yeah, you exactly. Wear a fucking, you cannot wear a mask. Like, I don't know what yeah. you think about that. Yeah, I think it's it's smart. There's a lot of local businesses. There's quite a few that have been like, hey, it's great that we can be open again, but you know what? We're going to take our time and do it right. We're going to ensure that our staff is comfortable. I mean, even uh, even at my job currently, they, we just had a meeting this morning. It was like, hey, look, here's where we're at. And here's what it says, the government says, but here, we want to get get your guys' feedback on where you are and where your comfort level is, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been like that the whole way. I think that's smart, man. I think everybody just needs to... Because we've, we've all been traumatized. We all just went through a mass collective trauma. Everybody did. Yeah. Um, so we need, to, we need to start working that out and making sure that we're in the right state of mind and that we're comfortable and that we feel, feel okay going back. 
I know some people really, really need it. So God bless. And, you know, I think the focus on whatever cause that we can bring attention to in the restaurant industry, especially mental, mental health and a mental awareness, I think is great. Anybody out there, don't get me wrong. Like by waving the flag, I'm not, not knocking anybody for bringing attention to it. I think it's great, but I think we got to actually make, make sure that we're moving forward, taking the right actions and at least offering something to the people that we work with, people that we're friends with in the industry um, to make sure that we're all supporting each other through whatever, whatever we're going through. Yeah. I think that, I think that we really have to focus on that mindfulness, man. And, you know, yeah, man. honor, honor everybody's narrative. Totally. You know, it's like this, this is how Jerry sees it. Yeah. Maybe somebody doesn't want to work, not because it's, it's their oh, surpayment. Maybe they just don't want to work because they've had a shit year and they're really upset. Yeah. And they don't want to admit that, right? I'm sure there's lots of people out there that are like, I don't want to be anywhere near public people because everyone's angry right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone's what arguing on social media right now. I don't want to be around society. That's how I am. I'm like, I don't want to be around many people. I have a, I have a question for you. I saw this um, article uh, that everybody was passing around for a bit there. It was, it was um, Iceland does uh, four-day four work weeks. And uh, productivity is through the roof. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. I'm like, surprise? Yeah. You know, like, how, how are people just realizing now that this is a thing? Why is this, why is this being passed around like this? I know. You know I'm like, like this, this has to be something. I can go conspiracy theorist on this right now and be like, <laughs> it's the government dropping little seeds going, hey, we're going to lower you guys to four days a week because we only want you out. <laughs> No, no, it was all based on the farming it. system on, on the work day was based on the farming system and getting the most out of a farm during daylight hours. Yeah. So why are we working in, at night thinking that, you know, why are we working at an industry that primarily runs majority of the time at night or on an eight hour work schedule where we can get stuff done in four mm-hmm. or get some stuff done in four days? It's like every, every time, like, like I've, I've actually uh, embraced the 5 a.m. club for the most part. I've been on vacation for a bit, so yeah. I allowed myself a little of sleeping in. But uh, when I'm on it, when I'm on my, when I'm back into my cycle, and which I am right now, and I started this, this is uh, 5 a.m. wake-ups. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I think about it's usually about like at 10 a.m. where I'm looking around for shit to do. Yeah. And I'm going like, well, uh, what, what else am I going to do? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to pop some squats, you know, and like, yeah. and like to do some bench press and like maybe think about running later. I'll talk to Jerry Jobs three, um, you know, make a nice dinner, call it a day. Yeah, man. You know, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the like between the three and five a.m. club now because I got a dog that likes to get up around that time. And if I'm up at like four, I'm fine. Yeah. But like, yeah, I try not to get too much done in, in those hours because at eight o'clock rolls around and I'm like, okay, I'm got everything clear. I'm like, oh shit, it's eight 30, but the productivity <laughs> goes through the roof. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And you know what? You end up having the rest of the day to yourself. Yeah, man. Yeah. You can, you can have Beautiful. time to do, to do things like this and have good conversations with people yeah, and, man. uh, you yeah. know, be, be mindful about everything else because you've already done it. You're not waking up. You're not waking up at seven, eight noon three three going like yeah. holy fucking shit i gotta get to work you know yeah. like like i gotta i gotta pound two liters of coffee into me and uh run to work almost run over a child and their mom on the way you know and like 
fun story when I when I first started my bar career um, in nineteen twenty two. No, when I first started, I uh, I slept religiously till three p.m. every day. Would get up, shower, put my clothes on, smoke a half pack of cigarettes, and go to go to work. Eat my eat my uh, my beef dip or my my deep fried chicken sandwich just so my gut could handle the hangover from the night before so I could work and then just start my to have two to you know a shaft and a cloth to, to warm my gut up for the alcohol and get right back to it I did that straight for seven years until I said wow. I can't do this anymore I'm missing my day and then I made my wake-up time noon and I thought that noon was a major improvement can you believe they still serve shafts in restaurants I know man it's crazy crazy yeah, the things no, we didn't I, get by, man, that are old hat. Yeah. I mean, I I just learned like two years ago what a shaft was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was espresso martini, so that was my that was my oh, jam. Oh man, there you go. That's yeah. the jam, man. Pound two of those and you're like, Ooh, here we go. Espresso martinis with tequila. Yeah. Um seven years seven years of my life I slept until 3 p.m. religiously, seven days a week. You know seven you years, man. I had two hours of a day and then I'd go to work. I had an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And then I'd go to work. You know what I realized though, you know what I realized Jerry is we can't beat ourselves up about it because these are lessons that we're learning. Yeah. That we've learned and we're, and we're meant to learn these lessons and yeah. they put it, they put us here on this path now. Exactly, man. Yeah. It's like messing with the, uh, with the timeline. If you go back and, you know, give yourself advice at some point, you wouldn't be who you are now when you come, come back. Yeah. I always, I always had a, I always had a dream that I remembered and it was myself in the future and shit you not, man. Shit you not. I looked in the mirror once and I remembered this dream from like when I was a teenager, you know, getting bullied at school and shit like that, just like you. And, you know, and I'm like, looked in the mirror and I was like, damn, I was like, I look like that fucking guy in my dream. Yeah. And I can't, and it, like, it was just like a cloud. And he came out and he was covered. He had all of his tattoos and beard and everything. Handsome looking devil. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, you know what, little man? He's like, everything will be all right. There you go. And that's all it was, man. So it was like, it was like that. That's that for me. That's my story of like, boy, what would you say to yourself if you went back in the future? If you went to, say, went back to the past, back to the future, I said, <laughs> waiting, waiting for, uh, <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know. I'm like quote movies way too often now, but, uh, I'm ready to wrap it up. You are, sir. I am mad. Time Thanks to eat dinner. so much for having me, Nada. I'll tell you this, that I, I, I've, I've turned down so many interviews this year and so many, request to do podcasts or be the guest on stuff or to be in a magazine or to folks that talk about what I'm doing. And I've just said no to all of it. But when you reached out, I was like, okay, this is, this is, we're talking about it. You know? Yeah. I'm opinionated. And yeah. I'm crazy. And yeah, I'm not. <laughs> All you know, that stuff in it, but you know what, man? It's it's important that we talk about it, even even if you're you're angry about it or you're upset about it or mm -hmm. you have an opinion. Uh, it's okay to be that way, but at least you're talking about the right thing, right? So right. I appreciate you talking to me exactly. About this and uh, you know, I've I've been wanting to put together a group, sort of like uh, like a group chat meeting where people where we can talk where you can talk about this sort of thing. Yeah, man. With with other people, with other peers yeah. in a group you know just for like a brief period where everybody steps in and goes okay well it's not aa 
No, it's, 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 the, it's like continuing this path and like understanding where we're going with it and going like, Hey, you're not alone, but <laughs> yeah, I still have to come up with the premise in that and, uh, like and how it's going to work. But, uh, thank you, Jerry. Yeah, man. And, uh, we can do this again sometime too, because we might have something else to talk about. Absolutely, man. Anytime hit me up. I love, I love to talk to you. You're my Viking salute. <laughs> have Thanks, a good man. day. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye.